Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I'd like to thank you for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get better broadband everywhere it needs to be in the U.S. Um, lately, um, there has been a lot of talk about uh, the the struggle for broadband or people wanting better broadband to address the affordability question. How do you afford better broadband, uh, especially in an economic period that we're having currently? And uh, there had been speculation at the end of the broadband stimulus program that there probably wouldn't be any more major help from the uh, government side of things, just politics and whatever being what they are. And lo and behold, we actually are uh, fortunate enough to have another uh, government funding source join the mix and uh, offering the possibilities of um, getting projects funded and moving forward. Uh, If you were on the last show that I did on this subject, we talked about uh, what we could expect from this new program that would be part of the Connect America Fund that would be a trial program to fund uh, both pilot projects and full-on broadband network projects. And so today I decided, well, why don't I roll with success and bring back um, my guest from that last show, Alyssa Clemens-Roberts, who is the Manager of Industry Affairs for Rural and Infrastructure Issues at the Utilities Telecom Council. Alyssa, uh, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Craig. How are you today? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. You guys have got to shorten that name, though. I, I, I you know, but that's <laughs> another story, I'm sure, for another day. Well, uh, you can call us UTC. You know, UTC works. All right, fine. We'll, we'll, we'll roll with that. Um, so let's talk about what we're really looking at. Order was passed on Thursday of last week by the FCC. Um, why don't we start by defining, you know, what is the order, what does it do, and then as we understand that, we can then talk about how do you actually work that system and, and pursue this, uh, these funds that are being made available. Well, the order is is kind of interesting. We've talked about this a little bit offline, but I think um, what makes the order interesting is there are so many different pieces to it. Uh, You know, it happens to be 114 pages long. I've read it, I think, about once and a half. So, you know, the first time I scanned quickly looking for rural trials and the second time I sat down and read it. And to be honest, I'm still kind of wrapping my head around what's in the order and the enormity of it. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because – uh, the the you know the the chair of the commission, um, uh, Chairman Wheeler, you know as he said, this is a big deal and it's a big deal in the aspect that they are kind of going in a new direction or exploring the possibility of going in a new direction, and then it's really kind of literally a big deal as it is 114 pages long and covers you know seven or eight topics. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, really the part that I would say that I am most familiar with and um, have been following the, the closest is the, you know, the rural trials and, and where we're kind of headed with, um, with that. So, 
Um, do you want me to expand or do you want to <laughs> grill me with questions? I mean, we're going into a new direction, so I guess we should start with that. How, how do you mean we're going in a new direction? Well, the, the commission has basically said that, um, you know, what they are doing is they are vi- inviting a number of different participants to file um, this expression of interest. And we talked a little bit last time about the expression of interest, but I'm just going to go ahead and pin that down, I think, a little further. So the commission has invited interested parties to submit an expression of interest. You basically have from now until March 7th to file in the 1090 docket, um, you know, some type of formal letter or informal letter, a non-binding letter, you know, really want to stress the non-binding, that you have an interest in providing broadband. And I think what I found to be the most interesting is the groups that they listed out, you know, plus others that they were welcoming, you know, they listed the the incumbent um, LEC, so the ILEC, they listed municipality, they listed the word utility, and I don't mm-hmm. think you see that very often when you're talking about Connect America Fund or you're talking about rural broadband. Um, you know, they mentioned cable operators, wireless providers, um, you know, state, local, government partnerships, tribal entities. So, I mean, they really kind of took a little bit more broader aspect, I think, in who they were looking for as a pool. Because when I read my interpretation or UTC's interpretation, hence my interpretation of the order, is really that they aren't testing what technology works. What they're really testing is who is the best fit, who can provide this, who can provide the best service um, for the least amount of money, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. um, and get this done and fill these holes that we have in, in rural parts of the country. That makes sense. That makes sense. And that's very different than the broadband stimulus program because the broadband stimulus program said everybody could play, but you got into it and you sort of felt like, well, not really. <laughs> right, you know? right. Well, and I, you know, just to talk a little bit about the stimulus, some of the interesting parts of especially the BIP portion of the stimulus that came out of RUS is they, you know, they awarded extra points if you were an RUS bob, a borrower under title, whatever, which was basically if you were a telephone borrower, but not if you were an electric borrower, which is where the program started, or a broadband borrower, which is where the program was headed. So it's kind of an interesting play with what went on with stimulus, but now, you know, the FCC, again, doesn't have current borrowers, but they, I guess they do have current CAF recipients, but it's still, you know, they're kind of saying that, you know, we're, the trials are to answer, you know, four basic questions. Is fiber cost prohibitive? Um, you know, where in terms of geographic demographics um, would a provider choose wireless versus um, fiber? Uh, are anchor institutions and the people um, that they serve impacted by this and, um, you know, how states, localities, tribal entities, and other non-federal government bodies can provide assistance through matching funding, in-kind contributions, regulatory approvals, permits, you know, even just um, through housing places, you know, for computers for folks to be able to get to the Internet that, you know, maybe don't have the means to have that type of equipment in their home. Mm -hmm. So so definitely... um there is a focus on partnerships. In fact, I was reading through, <clears throat> I was reading through the order, and you know they talked about, uh, you know, they're looking for a diversity of geography, which to me looks, seems like, you know, regional projects will be uh, welcomed, and then also a diversity of partners and partnerships and matching, which again opens up. Um, 
it, it opens up, I think, a different kind of, uh, of opportunities because with the stimulus, I'm, gonna, I'm using the stimulus because, number one, I know it pretty well and have survived that process. So, you know, there are parallels to be drawn, but also some differences is I think you figured out in, I don't know, month two or three, you know, of the run-up to the, uh, the, the filing of proposals for the stimulus that, oh, maybe it might be better to get 10 cities to come together than have 10 individual cities apply. And so the FCC is pretty much saying from the outset, find your partners, expand your geography, um, let's, let's kind of think differently about this. Is that kind of the sense that you get? Yeah, it, it really is. And I think really what the FCC is saying is do your homework. Mm-hmm. Don't come to us with projects when you haven't spoken to schools, when you haven't spoken to libraries or rural health care centers, you know, when you haven't, haven't done your research to know, number one, what they have, what they need, what they don't have. You know what I'm saying? I think really when you look at some of the most successful, you know, stimulus projects, really the stakeholders were all at the table when it started. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think the FCC is saying, um, you know, that's, that's what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And now you were you were a participant in this um, in in the process of developing this. Or you had numerous meetings with uh, the FCC and staff and and all of that. Does the um, does the order reflect the work that went into uh, that run up? And also, does it reflect the input that came from you know your group and other groups that were contributing? Well, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, we were um, able to have some productive conversations, and and really I have to pass the credit to my rural utilities that I worked with on this. You know, they've been kind of carrying this torch for a long time, and I think, you know, um, you know, in, in essence, as they joined UTC and, you know, the Rural Broadband Council, RBC, you know, we kind of picked up that torch and, and carried it with them across the finish line. So I think there are definitely parts of this where, you know, we feel like they hurt us. Um, so I, I certainly, I certainly hope so. <laughs> mm-hmm. okay. Let's just say that. I mean, we're we're happy with the idea that the door is is coming open. You know, this mm-hmm. is a door that we really felt was closed pretty tightly, locked, dead bolted. You know, and then maybe had a chair under it as well. <laughs> so <laughs> the fact that you know, the fact that they list other. Um, you know, other types of entities as, you know, welcome to file an expression of interest to me says that, you know, the, the commission is, is really listening to uh, rural stakeholders and partners and saying, you know, we really want to get this done. So we're, you know, we're very happy with that, that part of it. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, right before the show, we were talking offline about the expression of interest. I should probably, you know, actually step back for a second and explain to folks as, you know, as you go to get the order, uh, there's a link to it from uh, the promo page for the show. Um, it is a little uh, complicated as these things go because it seems like they are trying to address about eight different things in one document. And you kind of have to know this going in so that when you're looking through the document, you're, you know, some of this stuff makes sense. And we should probably just recreate the conversation we had earlier about, you know, there's the expression of interest, but there's other stuff. So what's some of the other stuff, and why do you want to focus on the, 
expression of interest? Well, I, I think, so, you know, the order really contains a multitude of, of topics. You know, it talks about basic technology transitions. It talks about an AT&T um, petition to launch um, from traditional service to IP transition. Um, then there's the Connect America Fund portion, which is where the rural trials exist. They talk about, you know, video relay service and on and on and on. So it, it is a little... Uh, encompassing this order, and it, it is a little hard. I think if you, it was hard for me to find what I was looking for, and I knew what I was looking for. <laughs> so I think it's just a matter of you really have to kind of pick through it piece by piece. And um, you know, I will tell you guys when I started, I pulled up a, I, you know, downloaded the PDF version, and then I searched for March seventh because I knew that was the day that the EOI would be due, and then I you know, did another search for expressions of interest in rural trials and, you know, write, started writing down page numbers and then, you know, flipping through that way and then went back and read the whole order. It's just, this is not going to be something that you pick up and you grasp in two minutes. It's, you know, I'm still trying to wrap my head around what it is. And, you know, our VP has gone through it as well. And, you know, I said to him, am I nutty or is this kind of complicated? And, <laughs> and oh, you know, okay. he laughed and I think he wanted to say, well, yes, you are nutty, but, um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I think, you know, it is a little bit, it, it's a little bit hard to wrap your head around again, but, um, you know, really the, the first step is the expression of interest, and that's really kind of where this begins to me and ends at this point. I don't really, you know, we can talk about where, where you know, we are expecting it to go from here, but this is really, in my mind, the absolute most important thing that you can take away from the order is that you have an opportunity to file an expression of interest. Mm -hmm. It's non-binding. You are not going to have your feet held to the fire if you decide not to participate in a future program that the FCC may or may not create, that this is your opportunity to say, hey, I'm here. I've thought about this. I've been talking to other rural stakeholders. You know, we, we think this would work. This is what we think it would cost. These are the people that we could serve. This is how we would like to serve them. These are the kind of speeds we think we can offer. Um, you know, talk about your area. And, um, you know, one of the things that the order, you know, did say that in your expression of interest, you need to get down to the census block number. Um, so that's, you know, something that's going to take a little time to dig on, I think. And then talk about what kind of services you're going to offer. Are you just offering broadband? Are you going to offer voice and television? You know, really really kind of delve into this is your, this is, you know, if you're just starting this project, this is kind of, it really by laying out what they've done, in my mind, this is kind of a brainstorming piece. You know, if you could create what you wanted to create or provide what you wanted to provide, these are like good first steps to go through as you evaluate your project. So I think the FCC had some genius here as far as that goes. And if you've already started planning your project, odds are you've already done some of this, so it's probably pretty easy to fill out if that, mm -hmm. you know, makes sense. Right. It's basically, as I told folks during the, the, the stimulus process, those communities that have been planning for a year or two will be ahead of the game when it comes to developing a proposal for the stimulus because they will have done a lot of the necessary groundwork. And then you will have a second category of people, as folks I like to, you know, refer to, you know, those people that are kind of halfway there, you know, they had just started maybe a, a few months before, you know, the stimulus came out. So now they're kind of in, in accelerated mode. But again, they had some basic, um, you know, some basic understanding of where they wanted to go. And then you're left with the, 
you know, the gold diggers, the people who are just, you know, they see money and have no clue really what they're going to do. They're just going to throw something against the wall and see if it sticks. And I think whenever you, you have free money, you, you always find that. I'll tell you, I used to run a grant program for RUS that was to provide broadband to rural America, and, and I, you know, got an application to build a rocket to go to Mars, and I had another one to build a water park somewhere, and I was just laughing because, you know, they're just, they're just standard applications that people are throwing against the wall again, hoping, did I hit the right one without actually looking to see, you know, if this, <laughs> this is really what it's for. It's kind of interesting when free money gets talked about how people, you know, get a little crazy. And so, yeah, you kind of have to worry about that. I mean, I think more that becomes an issue of it burdens the granting organization. It doesn't yeah. necessarily affect the, um, uh, the, the the people submitting proposals per se, Though I would contend that sometimes, you know, as you as you look at the you know the folks who won some of these projects, you sort of feel like, you know, they had a good line of talk, but I don't see where there's a viable business here. But they somehow wrote it up in such a way that they got money, and so you kind of can lose in that. But you really can't do much about that. I mean, you, I mean, you really can't, other than have your own act together and be in, in sync with what the demands of the, uh, you know, the rules of the game are, really. Right, right. And, you know, I'm not sure, you know, regarding the stimulus recipients. It's been so long since I've looked at that. But, you know, as for the applications that come in that are clearly not for the purpose of the program, luckily mm -hmm. those are pretty easy to weed out. The hardest thing is writing the letter to them saying, we're sorry you didn't win a grant to build a water park because this is actually a broadband program. <laughs> <laughs> That's really the hardest part. You you're able to identify those pretty quickly, but it's just how do you how do you respond? <laughs> mm -hmm. So let me let me come back to uh, some of the other uh, points that I saw in the in the, in the um, order, and and we can talk a little bit more about the the prep of things. Um, you know, the, the subject of this order seems to be dominated in the press by um, the FCC is going through this IP transition. And, it's, and, you know, as I read those other articles and they're talking about this order, it's hard to reconcile that, which is a very wonky kind of deep technical, I don't know, discussion. I mean, policy is not unimportant. It is important. But if you're someone who's building a broadband project, it's kind of hard to understand what that verbiage about, you know, IP transition and this and that and the other has to do with the fact that I'm trying to build a network so I can, like, save my community from going kaput because we have nothing else to draw people to town, right? I mean, there's – so I guess what I'm asking for is how do you kind of, you know, describe this IP transition discussion and 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 sort of sort out and say to people, but really, this these are the things you got to worry about as far as you've got a project, you've got a pilot, you've got an idea for broadband, you want to try to get funding for it to make it work. Right. Well, I think there are two totally different issues when you look at this. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's the petition by AT and T for the IP transition, and that's you know addressed in this order, but it's a separate matter. And then you have the rural trials, which you know again is a different matter. So, I mean, they're going to go be filed under different dockets. And I think, 
you know, again, if you like the wonky policy stuff, which I do, so I read it. Um, I don't, I don't have an opinion on it, but I did read it. Um, you know, I, I would say just focus on the, the part that really is important to you and, you know, read the order and look through it to make sure that you're meeting the needs of the rural trials. But I, I, I don't know that I would spend a whole lot of time trying to, to understand the other portions of it. It just, to me, it's not, it's not necessarily relevant to this portion of the order, if that makes sense. Yes, basically, don't be distracted by that because if you right. were to follow the media, you know they're talking about you know this order and IP transition, and you're trying and, and it makes it clouds everything because what a lot of people, least people listening to this show, are concerned about is there's money for broadband. Just please tell me how to get it now. If I need to understand IP transitions in order to get the money, fine. I'll you know hire somebody, whatever. But you know it's more the issue that it's convoluted by way that this thing is being written about and perceived, I guess. And then so my caution to the audience, or I guess what you're really saying is don't get hung up in the IP transition side and all the media around that. Focus on creating uh, a proposal that somehow addresses the broadband project you would like to get <clears throat> off the ground. Yes. I mean, that, that would be really my advice. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think with anything – AT&T is a big company, so they're going to get, you know, a fair amount of press, and I think this is a pretty uh, big deal, I guess, as Chairman Wheeler said, you know, this okay. is a big deal, this is a big deal, and I kind of chuckled as I heard him say it the first time, but as you really kind of got into what they were talking about, I mean, we went from the AT&T bit to the rural trials to talking about, you know, um, being able to text 911, you know, really when you think about some of these things, they really are a big deal, and they're all a big deal on their own. And it's mm -hmm. really a big deal when you're talking about them, you know, over-encompassing all of these topics. So, yeah, I would just say, you know, focus on your part of it and, you know, really really work on, you know, meeting the FCC's needs for their expression of interest and, you know, put the best project you can forward and be clear when you do it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's one of the things people say, oh, well, you look at this, I'm happy to look at it. Do I know what the FCC is going to, you know, how they're going to determine this? No, I don't know. All I can tell you is that when I would review grant applications, you know, my favorite applications were the ones that I could pick up and quickly say, okay, number one, this is what they want to do. Number two, this is who they're going to serve. Number three, this is how they're going to serve them. And number four, this is the total project cost. This is what they're asking for in funding. And this is what, you know, the grantee is, you know, going to put forth um, to complete the project. The more mm -hmm. clear I think you can be in your application, the better. You don't want to have to convince someone to read your application four times to understand where you were trying to go with your application. Right. So this is actually very, very important. Let's do that one more time. Do this one, two, three, four number thing, and if people missed it the first time, pay attention. Because you have talked okay. about this actually in the last show, and it's really vital, those four points. So. Far away. One more, one last time. Well, well, let's hope I can get them right again here. <laughs> so I think the first thing you need to do is be clear, you know, about who you are. Be clear about, so that's one, who you are, right? Mm -hmm. And then the next one would be um, be clear about the area you want to serve. Mm -hmm. And I would say, number three, be clear about how you're proposing to serve them and what their offerings are going to be. Okay. And then four, be, 
be very clear about the financial aspects of this. What is the total project cost? How much Connect America Fund money would you need for this to work? And how much are you putting into this to finish the rest of the project or other stakeholders? You know, mm-hmm. if your project is $10 million and you say, I need, you know, the Connect America Fund to give me, we'll say, $5 million. Well, let's say I have $2 million coming from me. I have $2 million coming from a local government. And then I say, okay, I'm done. Well, you've only added up to $9 million. Where's that other million coming from? Right. You know what I'm saying? Just be you very, very cool. clear about mm-hmm. your ask. Be clear about what you're putting in. Be clear about what the ask is. And clear about what you think the total project cost will be. Right. Clarity. Makes that's sense. my my over-encompassing message here. Just be clear about what you're doing. Right. Make it easy for the reader to understand what you're doing with your project because they, they will not make assumptions for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. And they shouldn't so, have to. They have something you want, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I want French fries, you know, at Applebee's, I don't say give me onion rings and hope I get French fries. Right. That's all very logical. Can't cannot argue with that. Now, one thing that, um, in addition to those points, I think as far as a, you know, what is the information that needs to be included? I'm all for that. I mean, because I talk about broadband planning and strategy and and needs assessment, and all this stuff, all the time. And so those four are pretty much consistent with the, you know, the end objective of you know what I do for folks. Now, one of the things that was also in the order, um, you know, they talk about they want these um, proposals or projects, and you can sort of validate if I'm reading this right, you know, they want them to address or, or the four areas that they want to have addressed. Maybe not all four of them need to be addressed in any one project, but they're concerned about public safety. They're concerned about universal service. They're concerned about competition and they're concerned about consumer protection. And the reason I say that maybe they won't want all, five, all four in one, one proposal is I can see where, you know, if your plan is to, you know, address economic development, you may have less of a focus on, say, public safety. But I think that if I'm reading it correctly, they're saying that, you know, in the course of describing your project and its potential outcomes, you want to talk about those four things if you can. And probably people who talk about it more and talk about it better will have an edge when it comes, you know, showtime to decide who gets money. Well, I think there's a number of factors that are going to really play a role in this. So one of them being, um, you know, what kind of service are you going to be providing to the end user? And that includes anchor institutions. So, I mean, that really is, is about public safety as well when you think about it because, you know, is this, you know, what kind of services are you going to be able to provide to government agencies, um, you know, health, schools, libraries, et cetera, et cetera? Are you giving them what they need? Are you giving the end user, the homeowner or the, you know, business, are you giving them what they need? But I think there's, a, you know, another really important aspect in this that um, I don't know if we've hit yet, but it's really, have you done this economically? Mm-hmm. You know, again, this is free money. People go, free money, free money. I'm going to buy gold-plated, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm not saying that 
that you can't build a robust network because I don't know that I consider fiber the gold standard. I, in my head, I kind of think fiber is the standard. Um, but I think in some aspects, I think that you need to be cognizant of the fact that you need to be efficient with this and that, you know, if I offer to provide, you know, 10,000 people with fiber to the home for, I don't I'm just going to throw out a nice even number so I can remember what numbers I've used, 10, $10 million here. Mm-hmm. And Craig, you come in and say you can do the same thing at the same speeds, but you can do it for $5 million. Who do you think is going to win? Right. So I think that's something that everybody really needs to kind of keep in the back of their mind. Ask for what you need, but don't go crazy. You know, be efficient with this. Right. Because the more efficient you can be, the more the more projects and, and communities and, and really rural folks that people can reach. Mm-hmm. And then probably we should talk about this because, you know, we, you and I have brought this up a couple times, and that is uh, the – program is targeted toward rural areas and the rural areas have uh, pressing broadband needs but there are also pressing urban needs and I'm, I'm you know I've got to sort of respond to an audience that that's that's asking well how do we not get ignored how do we get included in some way form or fashion because while this is a great program for rural areas, you know, the same kind of development, the same kinds of projects, the same kinds of, you know, issues to be addressed, um, you know, public safety and universal service and, and, and competition, those are all issues that are very pertinent and in many areas lacking in rural, I'm sorry, in urban areas, especially low-income uh, urban areas, how do we how do we how do we address that? I, I wish I had a good answer for you. If I did, you know, I'd be the next best thing since sliced bread. So, um, you know, to, to talk about this, so um, I, I will tell you that the group that I have been working with on this, you know, again, they represent um, rural areas, and so that has really been my um, advocacy focus. Um, do I recognize that there are urban needs as well? Uh, yeah, you bet. I'm 110% on board with you there. That just hasn't been my my area of advocacy. I mean, I think, you know, Craig, you know this too. I, I You know, I talk about this all the time, that really what you're talking about in the urban area and what I'm talking about in the rural area, a lot of it is really the same. Right, exactly. Because you have to have three things for broadband to be successful. I, in my mind, these are the three things. It needs to be available. It needs to be affordable. And it needs to be robust. So if, if you're missing one of those things, you're really kind of missing a big part of the benefit of broadband, right? Mm-hmm. And affordable is kind of, again, in the eye of the beholder, I think, too. So... Um, you know, some of our rural communities that we're talking about are very economically challenged. Um, I think people would be quite surprised maybe when you when you talk about some of these areas. But, you know, I, I feel for you here. Um, you know, again, UTC's position has been on behalf of its rural utilities, and that's what we've been advocating for. Um, I, I believe Fiber to the Home Council was really kind of pursuing this race to the top, which would be more of a, you know, a, urban or suburban type community that could participate in this. It didn't really have a rural focus to it. It was more of a, 
what I would consider like a municipal project, not necessarily run by the municipality, but a municipal focus versus a rural focus mm-hmm. or an urban focus. Or, oh, I'm not even non-rural focus. <laughs> we'll call it that. So I'm not really sure where that that program is sitting right now um, regarding the race to the top, but I, you know, I, I think it's a good area to advocate for. And I, you know, I would just say, you know, I think under the Connect America Fund money, the reason that the focus is rural is because that's what the original USF fund was designated for. You right. Know, to expand <clears throat> rural telephone service. So they've transferred this past telephone and, you know, really stayed in that rural focus for, um, you know, uh, rural broadband. But, you know, I'm with you. I think that we should be funding, you know, urban and suburban and, you know, city-based or, again, non-rural projects. I'm, I'm with you. I mean, <clears throat> I would love to see every single, you know, home in this country have some type of fiber to it, you know, and then we could overlay mobile applications and we could overlay wireless and, you know, we could really some great things and, you know, it, it makes sense to me. I think, you know, really when you talk broadband, we're talking about a critical infrastructure service. I mean, you know, we have water, we have gas, we have telephone, we have highway systems. You know, to me, broadband is just right in line with all of those things that people really need at this point in their life to survive. Right. Now, looking so, at... Sorry, go ahead. No, no. I mean, that's, you know, just, again, my my focus has really been on rural. That's where I'm right. at. But, you know, I'm with you. <laughs> so let's look at the issue of availability, affordability, and robustness. And we can agree definitely that whether you're urban or you're rural, these three things matter. Do you get a sense that um, the FCC has, uh, I don't know, removed the barrier of the, you know, definition of broadband? And what I mean by that is, in my mind, I the FCC, by defining broadband as being four down and one up, pretty much shafts a lot of communities because the incumbents are allowed to say, you know what, if we have, um, you know, four megs coming down, we basically we meet those standards that, that has been defined by the FCC, we are providing broadband. Where in the reality, um, if you are trying to do, you know, heavy-duty business applications and cloud computing or telemedicine or using some of the latest super-duper education software and applications and so forth, four megs is not going to make that happen. And so you get in the, in the bind, if you will, of incumbents saying you can't serve this, you cannot fund this to be served because we cover it with what the bare minimums are by the FCC's definition, but you have the reality that people need more. In the, in the order, at least as you have looked at it, does there, does there seem to be some kind of reconciliation for this dilemma or a hope that there um, might be? No, you know, I think it, it's something that we're all going to continue to have to advocate and, and, and say that it's just not enough. I, you know, I think that, do I think they get it? Yeah, I think they get it. You know what I'm saying? I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think there's anyone in their heart of hearts that says four one is acceptable service. I mean, I, if we're, you know, going to be completely honest now, when you layer in interests and, you know, other, other things and, 
you know, protectionism and whatever else, you know, you're, you're never going to anybody go on record to say that four, that some of those folks aren't going to say that 4-1 isn't enough, but, you know, uh, all, all, all we can continue to do is say it's, it's not near enough. I mean, I know that the, um, you know, in the order it talks about the commission had um, considered requiring higher speeds, six megabits down and one and a half megabits up um, by the end of, you know, a five-year phase. I, I would say that that really isn't even sufficient as well, you know, unless you're talking about being able to offer, in my mind, you know, 100 megabit today, gigabit in the future, it's probably not enough. Right. And I think that's something that, you know, more than any of us at home or even businesses, you talk about anchor institutions. I mean, nobody knows more than them that what they have, you know, many of them have today is not sufficient. Right. And so it's, it's unfortunate. I I'm not sure how to fix that. I guess we just keep having these conversations and filing comments and, you know, hopefully, well, it will come, you know, it will get exciting and they'll raise it up. <laughs> right. I mean, to me, it seems like the only thing that's going to matter is a, I don't know, a redefinition. See, one of those things I've, I've thrown out to folks, uh, both in the government and outside, is that if we had a, if we had a structure for these kinds of grant programs or funding programs in which we said you know what when the communities or whomever brings a proposal for for money for a project that they want to use what they need to just demonstrate is not whether it's 41 uh, you know 41 situation it is what do they need to do certain tasks and, under, and explaining why not having that, whatever that amounts to be, um, you know, they then qualify as being underserved, right? It may not necessarily be unserved because there's something, but, you right. know, like, for example, if, if you do a needs assessment and, you know, one of the, the, the pressing needs for a, you know, small rural town or a tribal uh, community is for some sort of video-delivered healthcare, you know, consulting services. So people can actually be seen by a doctor, though obviously not treated for everything, but, you know, but there's some level of healthcare, and that's their burning need. So if they describe and say that, so there should be a provision that says, if that's your burning need, if that's the thing by which, you know, this broadband exercise is going to be a success, without that, you know, meeting that need, your community is going to be all the worse for it, then the program should basically address that, and then that will get us out of this issue of trying to set a standard based on a number that's going to be obsolete by the time the thing gets done winding its way through the approval process. Right. right. Well, and, you know, what I would say to you is, you know, where we're at right now is at the expression of interest, and I think that's probably a great approach, and I may steal it from you and share that idea with my members. I hope that's Okay. I'll footnote you, wink, wink. <laughs> so uh, what I would say is I think that's a great approach, you know, to take when you're doing your expression of interest. The actual, you know, program where you can apply for funding, the criteria for that is not set yet. You know, and I think some of that is going to come out of what, what folks have to share with the FCC regarding their expression of interest. So, um, you know, I would say, you know, that, that it's a compelling argument that people should continue to make. 
I absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some of the mechanics of moving forward, because obviously that's what a lot of people are interested in. So we've defined, you know, four primary things that you want to express in the in the in the uh, uh, expression of interest. You or the FCC and via the order has defined another set of issues, which is the you know competition, consumer protection, and all of that. Um, it is. It seems to me that before you can respond in any meaningful way, um, definitely respond to the program, but even to the expression of interest, is that you have to have some credible needs assessment done where you have identified your, um, your primary needs and explain why this makes sense. Yes, no... Um, you know, yeah, I think you do. Uh, you know, I'm not sure how in-depth you need to go into this. Again, they're looking for ballpark information, and, and much of what they say, like, for example, under the elements of expression of interest, it says, you know, if known, if known, if known. I mean, some mm-hmm. of it, you know, basically you have to describe who you are as an entity. You should know that. <laughs> um, identify your proposed service area. You should know that. Looking at the census block is a little bit, you know, tasking, but you know, you should, you should be able to get to that pretty easily. Include, you know, schools, libraries, other anchor institutions. Again, you know, if you're familiar at all with your community and you're proposing to serve them based on everyone's needs, you should really have some idea of that. What kind of technology, you know, do you want to deploy? I'm hopeful that you have an idea of that. What kind of service do you think you'd like to offer? Again, these are non-binding. So, you know, you, you put something together, and I would say do, again, uh, you know, the quickest needs assessment you can do. Um, but really, this is kind of teeing you up to do an in-depth needs assessment if, if this, you know, if there's a program where you can apply for the funding and, and really get into it then. But this, you know, again, it's a good place to start. And what they're really right. looking for is ballpark, ballpark numbers and ballpark information. Right, and I, I probably should have added in there that, um, under, you know, people should understand that um, for the inter- for the um, purpose of the uh, expression of interest, uh, you, you maybe you know you don't need a full-on uh, needs assessment. Having done one will put you right. in a much better position, obviously. But um, but there is time. There's time between the expression of interest and what will eventually become a full-on funding program. But I think right. that at least the beginning elements of a needs assessment needs, you know, should be done, and and that people should, um, you know, take that seriously. You know, when when people were doing the stimulus, you know, and I read a bunch of the executive um, summaries, which is truly a, a cure for insomnia. Um, but. Uh, there, there wasn't, there wasn't, there wasn't anything that reflected some serious thinking about, like, what exactly is your need, and how will solving that need actually matter, you know, in 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 um, proportion to the dollars that that some of these proposals ask for, and I think that where people this time around can do themselves a lot of good is to answer that fundamental question, you know, how will meeting X, Y, and Z need produce a benefit that is significant enough to justify several million dollars. 
You know, because I had I had I had someone call up once that said, "Oh, well, we want to, you know, we're asking for this money. We want to know how we should deal with the, uh, you know, the the first round of of um, you know, proposals that they were accepting." And it came down to, you know, they were asking for five million dollars. No, I take that back. It was more than that for a community of fairly wealthy people. I mean, these were folks that, yeah, they were rural. But they weren't poor folks because half of these folks were, you know, they had their second home, and 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 you sort of look at this thing and you go, you know, relative to the dollars being asked for, I can't see a, a justification for this kind of thing, and I think that we're, you know, people need to get to is, you know, show show the value for the money that's being spent, um, and then we have a caller too, by the way. Let me see if I can catch this one before they go away. Hello, this is Gabe Nation. Do we have a caller on the line? Yeah. Can you hear me? Hello, when this technology works. Yeah, I just just got on the Internet here, and and I clicked on the first live program I kind of come across here, and, and I come across something that interests me here. What is this new FCC broadband funding program? Uh, well, the, the gist of it is there is money being set aside for communities that have creative broadband projects or broadband pilot projects. And what um, Alyssa here and I were discussing are, you know, getting an understanding of the, the order that created the program and how to respond to that. So when the show is over, the show will be archived. You can actually go back and pick up the details we've covered to date. But, but primarily what we're talking about is that there's a program that's driving or wanting to drive uh, broadband, particularly broadband in areas where uh, urban communities aren't getting sufficient um, Internet access to do the kinds of things that they want to do. Does that make it more clear? Yeah, you can look at a cell phone map and see what's happening. I mean, uh, half the United States isn't covered, you know. Yep, and that's... That's the starting point. <laughs> you know, only, only the major cities are covered, really, and the mm-hmm. highways, federal highways are covered. But uh, how about that poor guy up there in the hill in West Virginia? You know what I mean? He'd like to get on the Internet, too. Exactly. This is a very nice topic that you have here. I, 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 I caught it right away. The only thing I, I see a problem with it all is... Uh, you know, with uh, the 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 talk about it in the air, uh, that being of catastrophes. I mean, what do we spend billions and billions of dollars putting all these cables underground, going up mountains, come down underneath rivers, and, and the darn earth tears it all to pieces? I mean, think about that. I mean, it probably created a lot of jobs, right? <laughs> this is true. This is, How this do you plan to uh, cover for catastrophes? You know, they're expecting one within the next 20, 30 years here. Mm-hmm. And, so, you know, I uh, bring up a good point in terms of, you know, we're talking about how people should structure their proposals for, uh, for, for receiving money. And one of the issues is, um, you know, making it so that people understand, the, the, the funding, the FCC understands that 
the money that you're asking for has a significant uh, benefit relative to the amount of dollars you're asking for. But another issue to be concerned with actually is the redundancy. How will your – it may not be you know, the top of the proposal, but somewhere in there should be a strong um, – uh, component that explains what are you going to do to ensure that the network survives um, some sort of catastrophe? You know, will there be a backup? Will you have a second line? Will you do this? Will you do that? But this issue of redundancy, reliability, I mean, that comes back to the, um, you know, the reliability and to making sure that it's always available, you know, to, to Alyssa's point. And, and, you know, the fact that the FCC, you know, one of their tick list items is public safety. So if you're going to devote a network to public safety, you have to address that issue um, of, uh, of uh, redundancy and backup. So Yeah, and, 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 and another thing. Why, I, I know your feet are on the ground. Okay? Your feet are on the ground and everybody wants to keep everything on the ground except the planes and the spaceships. We know that. But you have a hell of a lot of satellites doing uh, need some work up there. Now, budgeting should also include space technology providing signals instead of running all these cables all over the place. You know, that, that mm-hmm. cuts out all the catastrophes unless a meteor hits one, you know, mm-hmm. which is likely. We got so much debris up there and so many satellites up there. But that's one thing you guys can consider. Now, I don't know if you guys are the ones uh, making a proposal or not, but you got you got a uh, we got a lot of uh, 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 spacecraft up there that are for communications, and they're not really busy. Right. I mean, they're busy, but not really busy. I, I, I'm, space can be rented, so you you have to find out how much it costs to uh, upkeep a, a satellite or put one up in the sky uh, that that you can shoot signals up into. Look at the networks, what they're doing. They spend all the billions of dollars building all those ground facilities, and what do they bring in? A big dish. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, I'm gonna that's have to, how I'm they... Gonna have to, uh, Sarah, I'm going to have to let you go for a second. we got another call coming in. I wanna, I wanna oh, I'm to... sorry. No I'm worries. I'm having fun here. Us. Listen to the <laughs> audio, right. though, so you catch the whole show. All right. Have a good day. You too. All right. All righty. So another question that has come in um, is the one about the public comment. Uh, in in the order, you know, setting up the parameters. You know, there's there's heavy emphasis on you know everything that gets thrown out there is going to be open for public comment, right? Um, on the one hand, I see where that's good because obviously, especially at the community level, I think all of these programs should reflect and be required to reflect some level of feedback gathered from you know the community, right? To show uh, that there's support, that there's understanding, that these people are going to be potential subscribers you know, that indeed the need is severe, so forth and so on. But isn't there an issue, and maybe I haven't gotten to a part of the order that deals with this, but isn't there also the problem or the potential problem that um, as a company particularly, I may not want to have it out there, all the details about what it is I want to do, because 
I mean, the first thing people see is, well, AT&T is, is advocating for this, you know, openness and public comment. And I think the, you know, the, the, the survival mechanism kicks in for many smaller companies to say, well, I don't want, you know, my program, my proposal, my whatever scrutinized by AT&T and Comcast. You, you know, I hear what you're saying, and I understand that, I guess. And maybe because I'm a former Fed that I look at it a little differently, you're taking taxpayer money, you're open to a little more scrutiny. And that's just the bottom line of it. Um, You know, the other thing that I would say is, you know, if you're serving a truly rural community, I think AT&T or whoever can look at it all they want. I think we know that they don't really have any intention of getting here with their use of one application or 20. And quite frankly, kind of where my rural guys are sitting, you know, why my guys, most of them, they're CEOs of electric companies. And so they have full-time jobs. You know, that that's their primary business is making sure the lights stay on in rural America and mm-hmm. uh, fridges stay cool and freezers stay frozen. They didn't wake up yesterday and go, man, I really need more to do. I really <laughs> like to tackle this broadband issue as I'm, you know, nearing the – you know, twilight of my career and, you know, gosh, I just, I spend too much time with my family and I really want to work 20 hours a day to take on this added responsibility. They're doing this because their communities are begging them to do it. So they're, they kind of look at themselves as the, the last provider. You know what I'm saying? They're the, the person that finally says the buck stops here. We're not going to let it, you know, kick, get, you know, we're not going to continue to play this kick the can, kick the can down the street game. We're going to mm-hmm. step in and do this. I think probably other than my guys who have already started building and already starting providing services, I think most of them that are still in the planning phase or have done the planning and are just waiting to participate in the program, if someone were to step up and say, I'm going to provide your area with a robust, reliable, and affordable broadband service, they would say, you know what, I did my job. Right. Again, their business model isn't to be a broadband provider. They're a provider of last service. So that may be a little bit different um, attitude that they have. But, you know, at the end of the day, I don't, I don't uh, to be honest, I don't really care who provides it. I just want them to provide it. Right. And the the now, end what, user doesn't really care. You know what I'm saying? As long as it's affordable, reliable, and robust. Okay. Now, one of the um, – Oh, good Lordy. One of the uh, questions that comes up, you know, we talked about it a little bit, which is, um, well, there are two. One is geography. So it is better, probably better to have 10 to 20 jurisdictions come together on a project than it is to have a bunch of individuals writing proposals. Because I think your costs and, val- you know, ver- you know um, validating that, well, this, million, you know, $5 million investment is okay for a town of, you know, 4,000 versus you get 10, you kind of get them all together in the same program, you figure out how they're going to, you know, share the infrastructure, so forth and so on. You know, the regional multi-jurisdictional approach makes a lot of sense. I'm not, I don't think too many people would argue uh, against that. Uh, But what about the partnership or a partnership strategy? You know, what are the kinds of entities do you think would make for um, strong partnerships given the nature of this uh, order, the, the nature of the uh, expression of interest process? Well, I think having the anchor institutions, you know, having have them weigh in or support you in some way is great. 
I think having your local and state government weigh in and say they support this. I think having community stakeholders, whether it be, you know, uh, church leaders, business leaders, uh, not-for-profit leaders, you know, um, principals, teachers, you know, it doesn't have to be the, just the school. I think those kind of uh, folks help as well. So I think it's just really a coalition of, of that's representative of your area, your community, your county, you know, your coalition. I think that the more of those folks that you can get, on bo- get involved with and have letters of support from and show that, you know, they're part of this planning process and you're having conversation with them, the better. Mm-hmm. What about, um, I don't know, which, con- con- I don't know, conglomerate of, of private sector companies uh, makes sense? When you have your anchor institutions, yes, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, your your government as maybe primary customer makes sense. What makes up the uh, you know the, the the private sector side is it a combination of vendors and ISPs? Uh, is it telecoms versus co-ops? I mean, not so much versus, but I mean, you know, trying to get a handle on what this this you know your partnership roster should look like. If you want to have I think maximum it looks impact, like, and- I, I think it looks like whatever you want it to look like. You know, when I when I think about partnership roster, you know, I'm thinking about businesses in the actual community. I, I, I will never forget this, and this will tell you how memorable it was to me. So, you know, back when I was doing Community Connect, and this has been, oh, gosh, you know, eight years since I've looked at a grant, you know, nine years, eight years, seven years, something like that. I'm old. It's been a while since mm-hmm. I've looked at a grant application. But I remember um, specifically a small Virginia town had said, you know, we've had a Napa store in our, our town for years. And they basically told us that if they can't get some type of broadband other than dial-up, they're going to have to move on because, mm-hmm. you know, they can't, they can't order their parts, they can't do what they need, et cetera, et cetera. And that, to me, was really moving. So, I mean, we're not just talking at this point about creating jobs. We're talking about saving jobs. I have a co-op who has, in their area, a data center, and they can't get reliable or affordable broadband. And the co-op has said, okay, you know, you employ 100 people in our rural territory. That's a lot, Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what What do we need to do to keep you here? And so, the, you know, they've come to a, an agreement where the co-op's going to provide them with, you know, high-speed Internet at, you know, greatly reduced prices to compared to what they were getting. And in turn, they're going to keep their business there. So, you know, we're saving jobs, we're creating jobs. I think any chance you can get to point that out, I, I think it's a good a good thing. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I talked uh, over the past couple of weeks about, um, you know, the the differences, well, how am I going to describe this? A particularly positive role that a pilot or getting a pilot project funded would have. Um, I don't know if you recollect that one, but basically, um, you know, pilots are good because they allow you to say, you know what, we have this bigger plan over here that we can serve, you know, our whole of our community, but we've got this pilot project over here, this proof of concept that we can then use to leverage the success of the bigger, greater good. Um, As a, I don't know, as a line of reasoning, does this make sense? You know, I think pilots are a great idea. Most of my cooperatives have started at a pilot, and, mm-hmm. you know, you've talked to the guys at Coma before. I, I typically yep. don't say utilities names when I talk about them, but I'm going to talk about Coma right now. You know, they really talked about that they started with a pilot, and they learned a lot of really valuable lessons. And their CEO told me, he's like, yeah, we had this awesome ice storm, and, 
you know, it lasted for days and it broke things out on our line and we had to, you know, replace these little clasps and et cetera, et cetera. And it's like it was fantastic. And I'm thinking in my head, who thinks an ice storm is fantastic and that things broke? And I, I finally just said to him, I don't, I'm not following your logic. And he said, boy, it was a lot easier to replace 50 of those little hooks than it would have been 50,000. We now know that they will not withhold the elements. So I think, you know, Pilot tells you all kinds of interesting things um, about consumers and their usage and what, you know, what kind of bandwidth people will use and need and how many people say, oh, yeah, I'll pay it at this point, but we'll actually take the service. And, you know, what many of my co-ops are finding is that, you know, they find in their studies that 30 to 40 say yes, and they're really hitting numbers of like 60% by the end of the year. So it, it also becomes a matter of, okay, you know, 60% is great, but boy, if you planned resources for 30, man, it's really hard <laughs> to fly to 60. So, you know, I think that there's some good lessons to be learned in pilots, and I do think it's where you work the kinks out. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in them. I think most, again, most of my utilities are running some type of pilot right now or have that in their plans. And, and isn't the, the nature of this program uh, that the, uh, the FCC will fund, say, a pilot, and say the pilot covers 100 people, uh, but if the whole community is 400 people, then it is possible potentially to go back for funding to serve the remaining 300, but you can't upgrade services for the first 100. That, Correct. Am I right? That is my understanding of what they're, they're going to do going forward. Again, we don't have the rules for the program that will kind of be shaped, and we'll watch that play out here over the next couple months. Um, you know, I've heard that possibly the May meeting is when they would be voting on something like that. But, again, until it happens, I don't really like to count my chickens too much. But, you know, um, it, it's my understanding that, yes, that that is something that you could talk about doing a scalable project where you do it in phases or a pilot and then a full program, I think, you know, I think that's definitely something that you could explore and even talk about in your expression of interest if that's, you know, the direction that you wanted to head down. Mm-hmm. Now, also, we should probably recap. I know we're about running out of time here, but um, what's the process? We have an expression of interest, and it has a certain time that it's going to run. Then we're going to have another vote on something, and then there's going to be a full-on program, which will have, uh, you know, Fill in the blanks for me here. Well, actually, for the audience. Well, I can't fill them in definitively. Again, I could shake my magic eight ball, but it's only right about 50% of the time. So what I can tell you definitively is that we have until March 7th to file um, expressions of interest. So that is a hard deadline. So, folks, it's February 4th. You have one month and three days to get that in, and I cannot stress enough to enough folks especially, you know, I'm, I'm going to really promote some, you know, municipal and uh, utility-owned broadband. You guys, I'm counting on you. <laughs> I'm <laughs> counting on you to file. You know, I really think this is kind of our moment to put up or shut up, and I'm really hoping that we can put up because I, I think there are some really smart, um, you know, go-getter folks out in these areas that we've been talking to that, that can participate in this program. So that's my first, my first plea. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the second part of it is, so what they'll do is they, I'm sure they'll have some type of, you know, notice for proposed rulemaking where people can comment on the the gist of what they're going to put forth as the criteria for the actual program. 
Again, I'm hoping that they vote on this in May. We don't know yet. Um, after that, I think the order hints that you'll have about 60 days to submit an application. I mean, they're pushing this pretty hard and pretty quickly. You, I mean, when you think about it, you look at the end of the fiscal year, September 30th, it seems like it's forever away, but it's not. It's right around the corner when you're, when you're talking about programs like this. So okay. um, I get the impression that this is something that they would like to be doing this fiscal year, you know, uh, as a, as a you know, pilot-type project not a pilot project in the broadband aspect of it, but a pilot of a new rural trial. Right. So, uh, so, so you basically know, what you're saying is he's got a month to do an expression of interest. By the way, did they, did they indicate how long it should be, the expression of interest? Nope, they didn't. They didn't. You just need to say what you need to say. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm guessing somewhere between two and five pages. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. All right, so you get past the March deadline, you, you, you submit your expression of interest. And so the little gnomes at work are going to create a program to vote on by May based on the expressions of interest they get by the 7th of March? Yes, I hope so. I mean, that's my, my hope. Wow. If they get 20,000 uh, expressions of interest, I think that deadline might slip a little bit on the, uh, on the public order at the end thing. But... Uh, I mean, that was actually one of the big issues with the, uh, with the, with the stimulus was that some, somebody in their mind had a vision of, like, some smaller number of applications and what actually showed up, and it was a real struggle with them just to process the, the, the paperwork because everybody needs broadband, and, and so we should not. Right. But so I would just – I say that mainly to say, you know, the, the, the May deadline is out there, but I think that if these folks get a bazillion uh, expressions of interest, if they're going to be fair and true to their mission and review these and, and fa factor these things in, you know, something will, will probably have to, to give. Either that there's going to be a hiring spree in Washington, and everybody should move there now. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we just don't really know, you know, what's going to happen. Again, we think that um, it will be in May, but I, I, I just don't have any way of indicating what the FCC is going to do or not going to do. This is slightly being called a work decision. Right. No worries. We can live with that. Any parting words for our audience? You have been so kind and so helpful these, these last two shows you've been on. Uh, any, any final thoughts? You know, just that if you're sitting out there and you've been thinking about this, now now's your opportunity to speak up. Don't, don't let it go and then get to March 8th and go, man, I really should have done this. Again, your expression of interest is non-binding. Right. Put put your thoughts and your dreams and your hopes down on paper and send send your expression in. So that's all I can say. If you if you don't compete, you you can't win and and you really can't complain. Right. <laughs> right. This is true. This is true. If you don't step up to the bat. Uh, right. This is, this is true. I would say though, on another front, you know, we talked earlier about the urban areas. I do believe that um, urban America is going to have to assert itself either to uh, push the FCC to broaden the program to include urban areas or um, as they reform E-rates and Lifeline, um, which now really there's not a clear, in, if you look at them, there's not a clear bridge between what they do and a kind of program like this, but it seems like they need to do one or the other. They either need to come up with a new one, dedicated or, or it's like to expand the current, um, you know, this rural trials thing to be a trial thing, regardless of where you are, 
and then or uh, or or radically alter their uh, E-rate and Lifeline. But I don't think it's going to happen unless a bunch of people agitate for it. Because right now the politics and the trend uh, and you know where the incumbents are fighting versus you know where they're not fighting new competitors. You know the rural has the advantage, which is fine. I don't disparage any of that. But I think that the need is great enough in urban areas that some folks need to set up and say, you know what, if we don't make noise, that's not going to happen. And we're just going to be, you know, we're going to be behind the queue on this one. No, I think, I think, I think you are right. I think that, you know, again, if, if this is, you know, what's needed and wanted and I, and I agree that it is, I think, you know, definitely the squeaky wheel sometimes gets the grease and you're going to have to, you know, find a way to to work together and overcome some differences and and put forth. And I I would just say I personally would like to see it be its own initiative rather than having us compete in this area because I think that's kind of what happens. You kind of watch how this world plays out and Urban America says, oh, you can serve five times as many here. Those hillbillies don't need broadband. And, you know, the folks in rural America go, well, I'd settle for, you know, you talk about 3G and 4G, I don't even have 1G, so what are you crying about? <laughs> you know, it becomes this kind of back and forth of competing interests where, you know, we're really talking about the same thing. We're talking about affordable, reliable, right. and robust for everyone. Yep, yep, yep. I'm with you on that one. Well, Alyssa, thank you very, very much. This has been uh, extremely helpful. Our, our listeners appreciate your time and your comments. And, uh, you know, obviously you and I will be talking offline. Uh, folks can get in touch with uh, UTC. Um, I do believe I put a link to the organization from the promo page of the website so folks can get in touch. And, um, okay, we're going to have to ask. People have hung in with us for this whole show. we got to talk about why is there a picture of Alyssa on the web page with an umbrella? <laughs> well, you know, we talked about the fact that um, my umbrella uh, nearly uh, destroyed a commissioner's office and, uh, and and the commissioner and his staff. And so my uh, co-op that had given me the umbrella was kind enough to send me a new one. And I sent back a picture saying, I guess I'm, you know, armed and ready. And, and he said, I, you know, I thanked him for the umbrella. And he said, yes, um, you know, I'm, I was glad to provide you with this, but please don't hurt anyone. <laughs> so uh, I think my umbrella sighting days are over, and uh, I'm using it in nice ways. There you go. There you go. And if the rest of you want to know about the umbrella story, you got to pull up the, the interview from a few <laughs> weeks ago. It's a great story. Trust me. I tell I, this story all the time. It never gets old. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you. So anyway, you have a great, wonderful day, and we will talk again soon. And uh, to our audience, thank you again for, for checking in. I will be on my blog, uh, Building the Gigabit Nation. I will be talking about the program and more analysis and directions and answering questions and so forth and so on. So stay tuned. There's a lot to be done. There's, you got a month. That's what you got. And, so, and Craig, I just can yes, I ma'am? interrupt you here like I always do and say thanks yes. so much for having me. It's been such a delight and it's such an honor to do your show. You know I'm a big fan, so... Thanks again for having me. I, I feel kind of special getting to do two. <laughs> yeah, you are. Only Chattanooga, I think, has done two. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, you take care. And we will – wait, we have one more call. Maybe uh, maybe they'll get another um, interesting call at the end. 
Hello, this is Gigabit Nation. Do we have... Nope, gone. Obviously, he did not want to talk to us. Oh, well. All right. We'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks, Craig. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.